Maceo. All right, and uh, Elizabeth has uh, got her hand sewing going on. Good morning. Yes, this is, a, this is a good day. It's a good morning to have. Uh, I think that's one of the fun things about um, the way we're together is uh, you can have your hobby of choice going on at the same time, or most hobbies. I guess it'd be hard if I was out on my bike or something like that. <laughs> Again, if you're uh, just joining us now, um, we look forward to folks saying hello in the chat. Just select everyone or all panelists and attendees. We love to see, uh, make sure everyone can see the message. And uh, if you're joining from another ethical society or from somewhere else, actually just be fun if you're joining from another state or country or another ethical society, it's fun to, to hear that and throw that in the, the uh, chat. It'd be nice to see where everyone's coming from if you're somewhere interesting or not. You're just somewhere warm, hopefully. Good morning, John and Julie. Good morning, John, uh, Dakin and Joe and Judy Ohm. <laughs> All right, negative two in Chicago today. All right, Susan, <laughs> I hope you have a warm drink. Oh, oh, all right, here we go. Negative 17 from Minneapolis. I think that's the uh, current current winner, if that's a competition we want to have, which I don't this morning. Good morning, Joe, Massachusetts. All right, but the snow's coming. That's right. We've got a mix of varying uh, rain, snow situations going on. <clears throat> Good morning, Trang. Got a couple more minutes um, as we get settled in. Um, and just a reminder that, um, go ahead and select all panelists and attendees. And uh, that way we can make sure we can all see the messages coming in. All right, Joe, that's a great point. We're not, uh, we're not worried about cancellations because of snow. We just, uh, I guess, uh, what would be, what would we be most worried about? An ice storm messing up the power lines? That would be the worst thing that could happen, I guess, <laughs> for us at home. Yes, Lynn, we're on the same wavelength right now. It's great. Um, uh, a couple of reminders. Um, this is a great time if you do want to um, have a candle for the candle lighting. Um, this would be a great time to get your candle. Um, we love to hear where folks are from. If you're from a different ethical society or just somewhere um, from near or far, we're glad everyone can join us. And uh, you know, it's a great way to start our Sunday off. And uh, if you haven't heard me say this already, I'm glad, I hope you have your warm beverage of choice and or a, uh, a hobby you like to do. I know um, some folks are sharing, they're already uh, doing their hand, uh, the hand sewing. All right. Well, it looks like we're at a pretty good number of folks that are here and uh, we're ready to get started. 
Thanks, Brian. Good morning and welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Lynn Cox. You can use they, them pronouns for me. I'm the interim leader here. Today's platform is about finding within this season that may seem frozen, the beginnings of forward movement. This is true with trees and their seeming dormancy, with seeds of flowers under the soil, and with movements for justice, equity, and inclusion, such as those we celebrate during Black History Month. Opening words are from my colleague, the Reverend Adam Lawrence Dyer. The purpose of the open flower is not about the present hour. Instead, it hints at legacies and beauty's hope for what can be. We too are called to be the flower that buds along the fragile bower, where beauty, hope, and what can be, for now, may be but filigree. So where the rose in spring may flower, bathed in sun and quenched by shower, we grow to show posterity, bright blooming through adversity. Let's gather together. We begin today's platform with music from Dr. Glenn Thomas Rideout. That was wonderful. Welcome once again to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Brian Pashigian, and my pronouns are he, him, and his. And I'm today's officiant. 
Visitors, we especially welcome you from near and far. We hope you'll say hello in the chat and that you might send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas at maceot at ethicalsociety.org. I'm sure I'll put that in the chat. And you can also fill out a connection form. Uh, Maceo is gonna have that link in the chat and we really hope you'll join us after platform service for a chance to say hello. Today is the first Sunday of the month. So there's a newcomer Q&A with Maceo at noon. If you're new to our community and would like to learn more, please look in the chat towards the end of platform for a link to the Q&A. Our chat will stay open through much of the platform service, closing for the address itself and then reopening. If you do not wanna see the chat, now's a good time to minimize it. For our, each week, a member of our, of our community reads our statement of purpose so that we might hear our shared values in each other's voices. If you are interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc slash read SOP. This week, our reader is Jenna Umbraic. Jenna facilitates one of our deepening circles. And now I invite Jenna to read our statement of purpose. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you. If you have a candle at home, I invite you to light it now as I share our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Thanks, Brian. If you've been in the West Garden with the Earth Ethics Action Team or the BSA Troop, you may know something about milkweed flowers. I think you probably know what kind of creature likes to lay their eggs around milkweed. Butterflies do, so that baby caterpillars, when they hatch, will have their favorite food right to eat right there. Watching the milkweed flowers grow teaches us about the importance of caring for the Earth and not using pesticides if we don't have to, so there's no poison on the milkweed leaves when the caterpillars eat them. Maybe you've been inspired by the West Garden to create your own butterfly garden at home or a community garden you have access to. If you're starting milkweed plants from seed, the best time to plant them is in the fall. Our Earth Ethics Action Team planned even further ahead and they added to Wes's milkweed collection last summer by putting the roots of six swamp milkweed plants in a row behind the Joe Pye weeds, knowing that those new plants would be dormant until this next spring. But let's say you didn't get around to planting roots over the summer or planting milkweed seeds in the fall. 
let's say you were busy with another project or you started a new job or were trying to figure out distance learning at school or you didn't find a good sunny patch of ground in time before the snow came. Your interim leader, for instance, might be in that category and might have needed to research how to start milkweed seeds if they missed the chance in October. In that case, you have a couple of options. One is to sow your milkweed seeds anytime you find a bit of soil in a sunny place. The milkweed will come up the first spring after they have experienced a winter. You could dig down beneath the snow and sow them now in February, hoping that it will be cold enough for the rest of this winter to wake up the seeds and get them ready to sprout. A third option is to use your freezer to make an artificial winter. To do this, put your milkweed seeds in a damp paper towel or some damp sand inside a zipper bag, and then place it in your fridge or your freezer for 30 days. And after that, you can plant them in two to four inch peat pots or directly outside if there's no danger of frost by that point. And they could sprout in 10 to 15 days. And it may seem weird that seeds need to go through that experience of a winter before they can sprout in the spring, right? We think about seeds, spring, sprout, but there's another part to it. That's called cold stratification. Not every kind of seed needs it, but milkweed seeds do. The dry seeds are dormant, which is kind of like sleeping until they are exposed to the freezing temperatures for a while. The circle of life keeps moving because of things that are in balance. Caterpillars, milkweed, and butterflies are part of the same cycle. Sometimes it looks like not much is going on, but those quiet times are necessary for the blooming flowers and the emerging butterflies. Winter, spring, summer, and fall follow one after the other, and the special things about each season depend on things that can only happen in other seasons. Today, some of our friends who are members of Earth Honoring Traditions are celebrating the holiday of Imbolc, also known as Bridget. This is the day halfway between the official beginning of winter and the official beginning of spring. Not that long ago, our Jewish friends celebrated Tubishvat, when people gave thanks for the trees and made plans to plant new ones. For those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, it's a weird time to think about planting trees, but I think it's neat to celebrate trees now, as if we're encouraging them to hang in there until spring. Some of us might be wishing that spring would hurry up and get here. It can be hard to heat some of our homes. Driving or even walking is sometimes dangerous when there's ice. On the other hand, some people might be glad about winter. What are some things that you like about winter? You can write in the chat the things that you like about winter. Some people like the extra time for reading indoors or for the chance to play in the snow or basketball season. Every season has its place. We can value what is special about the winter and what is going on underneath the surface where the milkweed seeds are waking up in the cold. And we can also look forward to the spring where the changes that are happening all around us will become visible and audible and touchable. That which is transformed under the earth returns to us above ground in time in a new way. Change is already happening. And right now, halfway between winter and spring, 
is when we might be able to just barely notice it. So ends the story. Thank you for listening. As we consider what might be getting ready to bloom in our own lives, let's enter into the centering time of our platform. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I am particularly mindful of the ongoing toll of the pandemic, especially the challenges folks are facing securing appointments and the problems with equitable access to the vaccine. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. Our meditation today is inspired by words from Dr. Loretta Williams. Dr. Williams is known for, among, among other things, serving as the director of the Gustavus Myers Center for the Study of Bigotry and Human Rights, and as president of Racial Justice Connection, a national anti-racism consulting organization. She died in 2015. Here is an adaptation of her poem, Affirmation of Hope. We, the bearers of the dream, affirm that a new vision of hope is emerging. We pledge to work for that community in which justice will be actively present. We affirm that there is struggle yet ahead. Yet we know that in the struggle, there is hope for the future. We affirm that we are co-creators of the future, not passive pawns. And we stand united in affirmation of our hope and vision for a just and inclusive society. We affirm the unity of all persons. We affirm siblinghood that allows us to touch upon each other's humanity. We affirm that a unity, a unity that our eyes, ears, and hearts are open to see the difference, but common forms of oppression, suffering, and pain. Yet we are one and we celebrate our hopes for human unity. Within ourselves and within the gathered community, we will discover the strength not to hide in indifference. Affirming that hope publicly expressed energizes and enables us to move forward. Together, we pledge action to transcend barriers, be they racial, political, economic, social, or religious. We pledge to make our tomorrows become our todays. Let's start by focusing our breath. As you attend to the feeling of breathing in and out, notice where you have ease in your breath in your body. Notice where you ache, where you are healing, and where you are struggling. Breathe in and out as we consider the places of ease and the places of struggle in the body of humanity. Bring one hope for a just and inclusive society into your mind and heart. 
Maybe it's a hope about how we will approach anti-racism at West or something about the way your local town or country or district allocates resources or something about community safety. Breathe in as you kindle that hope and breathe out as you imagine sharing that hope with the world. Breathe in as we honor the very beginnings of change. Breathe out as we honor the possibilities of what might be. Breathe in and out as we remember that our breath links us with everything that lives. We are one with the world of beings that trade oxygen and carbon dioxide. In our oneness, we remember that what happens to one affects all of us. We breathe our oneness in and out. Return your attention to this moment as we breathe in and out. We continue our meditation in silence.
In this place halfway between the beginning of winter and the beginning of spring, we draw on imagination and memory, caution and optimism, hope for the future and learning from the past. Many of these things are contained in stories. I don't know if the story happened exactly this way, but I believe it's true. A sage, a wise person was walking along the road and saw someone planting a carob tree. And the sage asks, how long will it take for this tree to bear fruit? 70 years, replies the gardener. The sage asks, are you so healthy a person that you expect to live that long and eat its fruit? The gardener answers, I found a fruitful world because my ancestors planted for me. Likewise, I'm planting for my children. I will tell you where the story is from because I want to give credit, but I also want to notice that this story has a universality to it, a truth that the beginnings of things that we set in motion can have an impact long past the horizons of our own lives. This story is from the Talmud, a collection of rabbinic conversations on ethics and customs. We drink from wells we did not dig and eat from trees we did not plant. Our physical, intellectual, and communal lives depend on those who have gone before. Following their example will lead us to plant literal and figurative trees for the world of the future. I believe caring for ourselves and others will help us to sustain a shared life of meaning and compassion for a long time. My first semester of studying for my MDiv degree in California, I worked at one college in the South Bay area, and then I went to school in the East Bay area. I enjoyed the fragrance of eucalyptus trees around both campuses. The dry leaves rustled in the breeze, leaves rubbing together like the wings of singing crickets. Some people were distracted by the sound or allergic to the smell, but I liked them. The eucalyptus trees were tall and graceful. One might imagine that they had always been there. There's a story about those trees, and I don't know if it happened exactly this way. The American West in the late 1800s and early 1900s was heavily influenced by dreams of getting rich quick. Non-native eucalyptus trees were brought from Australia because they grew quickly. It was imagined that the lumber and oil would become quickly replaceable commodities for those who farmed them. They were promoted as ornamental trees for rich landowners new to the area and not used to treeless landscapes along the coast. Eucalyptus trees were all over California by the 1900s and then were tested for use as railroad ties. They didn't work out. Eucalyptus from Australian virgin forests seasoned and treated properly behaves differently than eucalyptus grown from seeds in California, hastily treated and set down in the Nevada sand. Some of the railroad ties were so cracked that they couldn't hold spikes and some decayed within four years. The trees themselves grew like weeds. They did what non-native species are famous for doing, thriving in the new environment, edging out diverse native plants that provide food and habitat with consequences for the entire food chain. An attempt at a quick profit turned out to have unintended consequences. 
Recently, there has been more discussion in that region about restoring native trees, but it's complicated. To say that it will take time to mitigate the damage of an invasive species is an understatement. But then again, compare that to the 2000 year growth of some living redwood trees. May we learn patience and commitment from slow growing trees. We strive to be among those people who have the hope and imagination it takes to envision a world of justice and compassion, a world of liberation and self-determination, a world of peace where people sit calmly in the shade of slow growing trees. In our neck of the woods, we might imagine a world where every person lives in safety and abundance with access to the shade of a witch hazel, hackberry or redbud tree, the three locally native trees our earth ethics action team recently arranged to have planted on the west property in folk wisdom folk music and wisdom tales slow growing trees symbolize enough time for a generation to grow without being uprooted by hunger or violence the california eucalyptus story reminds us that some of the environmental mistakes we humans have made were decisions made by a few, but using the resources and the risk pool of many. Another time we can unpack the harm that the railroad industry had on indigenous land rights and communities and on the horrors of labor exploitation involved in the transcontinental railroad and on the energy and resources that were available for white colonization, but not reparations for formerly enslaved people after the civil war. Understanding the wrong choices that have been made in the past may help us turn toward making better choices as a society going forward. We can play an active role in the governments, corporations and organizations to which we belong and who act on our behalf. Let us embody these relationships for repair and renewal. Contrast the rushed cl climate disrupting story of the eucalyptus trees with the story of George Washington Carver. I had to catch up on some of his story this week when my kid noticed discrepancies between what was said about Dr. Carver in the elementary school reader on our bookshelf and what my kids had read elsewhere. Some of us learned in school that the most important contribution Dr. Carver made as a scientist was discovering and promoting new uses for peanuts. But this version of his story is grossly oversimplified and obscures the way his research and activism supported black self-determination as well as environmental repair. After he graduated from the Iowa State Agricultural College in 1896, Dr. Carper accepted a position at the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. Riding on a train to his new home, he noticed immediately that growing nothing but cotton was causing soil erosion and depletion. He had scientific answers to that, what took longer was figuring out how to empower black farmers, especially those being exploited as sharecroppers to feed their families, improve their chances for subsequent years and still make enough money to try to get out of debt. Smithsonian Magazine quotes biographer Mark Hersey about the way Dr. Carver understood the problem. What Carver came to see, Hersey says, was that altering black sharecroppers interactions with the natural world could undermine the very pillars of Jim Crow. Hersey argues that black Southerners viewed their lives under Jim Crow through an environmental lens. If we want to understand their day-to-day -day lives, it's not separate drinking fountains, it's 
how do I make a living on this soil under these circumstances where I'm not protected by the institutions that are supposed to protect its citizens? Carver encouraged farmers to look to the land for what they needed rather than going into debt buying fertilizer and paint and soap and other necessities and food. Instead of buying the fertilizer that scientific agriculture told them to buy, farmers should compost. In lieu of buying paint, they should make it themselves from clay and soybeans. So ends the excerpt. Dr. Carver understood way before what we think of as the modern environmental justice movement, that liberation and conservation are entwined projects. The decisions we make for our families, for our communities, and for the planet all go together. And they all benefit from remembering interdependence and the long years of generations to come. Honoring the very beginnings of things, continuing to work on hopes that are barely tangible, believing in the distant future allows us to live into beloved community. White supremacy depends on the hurry up and profit mindset that brought cracked eucalyptus logs to the Nevada desert. Beloved community invites us to consider what may come from a seed. Strong trees grow, grow slowly. Strong communities learn and grow and make connections to other communities little by little over decades. Healing takes time, repair takes time. And for all of these, we can't always tell that it is happening. In most cases, we don't see the seed unfolding under the soil. Our senses are not adjusted to notice the growth of trees right in front of us. Sometimes resilience is about knowing in your heart that change is possible, even when the evidence is not yet obvious. The nearly imperceptible beginnings of change are also a theme in the earth honoring holiday of Imbolc. The Celtic calendar where this holiday comes from is rooted in the seasons of light and dark in the Northern hemisphere and in the agricultural cycles of Western Europe. At approximately the same time of year in the British Isles and here in the Mid-Atlantic, the middle of winter means we can start to perceive the time of sunrise and sunset edging towards spring, just a little more daylight each day. February into March is the time of year when lambs start to be born, vulnerable and full of promise for the coming spring. It's still cold outside. One theory for where the word imbolc comes from is that it's related to the word for sheep milk. The lambs need a lot of help to stay warm and to survive. Yet their arrival shows the persistence of life. Sometimes resilience is about remembering that life is possible. This is also the time of year when people who grow vegetables in climates like ours make a plan for the next six months, gathering seeds, starting a few indoors, and figuring out how to make the most of the soil and sun that will be available later. Making plans at this in-between time of year takes courage. For earth-honoring folks in Celtic traditions, the goddess Bridget and in her later form, St. Bridget of Kildare, is associated with this early February holiday. In the legends, Bridget protect, protects access to clean and healing water. She's also a figure of light and flame. When you put fire and water together, you can make entirely new things out of what you had before. You can forge iron, cook food, sculpt clay, and fire it into ceramics. Maybe this transformative potential is why Bridget is also associated with childbirth, poetry, healing, song, and art.
There is one thing that newborn lambs, vegetable seeds and soup ingredients, raw iron and future poetry all have in common. They don't look at the beginning the way they are going to look at the end, right? Seeds, soup, iron, lambs don't look at the beginning the way they are going to look at the end. You have to have some hope and imagination to believe in the transformation that is coming. You have to keep doing what you're doing when the evidence for success has not yet appeared. We need to hold on through the long term, through the step-by-step -step processes, through the discomfort of growth and change. And so another thing we learn from Bridget's holiday is the need for commitment. If we're paying attention to a legendary figure of generosity, art, and transformation, it's a good idea to listen to the voices of poets who figured out how to sustain themselves and their families and their communities through difficult times. During Black History Month, we are reminded of many examples of poets and artists who showed and inspired perseverance as they provided hope and imagination about a better world that was not yet fully manifest. Back in October on Vote Love Day, we heard about the story of Frances Ellen Watkins Harper. She was born in Maryland in 1825 to free parents, was educated at her uncle's school and had published a book of poetry by the age of 20. She became a full-time lecturer and writer, and she was an activist for abolition and for economic self-determination in the black community. One verse of her 1895 poem, Songs for the People reads, our world so worn and weary needs music pure and strong to hush the jangle and discords of sorrow, pain, and wrong. Harper was well aware of the injustice, economic inequality, and violence that still plagued the cities and towns where she toured. She didn't fail to address any part of that system in her other writing, yet she still saw a place for music and art. For Harper, poetry was not a distraction from building beloved community, but one of the technologies that can help bring it into being. Out of intangible words and ideas are woven a network of visions that lift up possibilities for liberation. Good things grow from beginnings that are not yet obvious. The forces that will become spring are already at work under the snow in the middle of winter. On the Jewish calendar, we've recently passed the holiday of Tubishvat, the new year of trees. This is a minor holiday. It's been around for hundreds of years, yet more people seem to be noticing it as we learn to connect spirituality with care for the earth. Sometimes people in Jewish homes and communities gather to eat different kinds of fruit and nuts to give thanks for ways of growing and recommit to the stewardship of the planet. In regions where it makes sense, Tubishvat is a time to plant trees. Clearly, looking out the window today, it is not the right time to plant a tree where we live. Nevertheless, in our gratitude for trees, we are reminded of the growth and the fruition of work that exists because of what has come before. The forces that create and uphold life and our ancestors who cooperated with them knew that growth and resilience don't always look that way from the outside. They knew that growth can start with something tough or plain. They knew the importance of allowing time and giving thanks. We drink from wells we did not dig and eat from trees we did not plant. As a community, part of our task is to muster the hope and imagination it takes 
to consider growth and resilience over time. We think long-term. We honor beginnings of change, even when they are hidden or barely perceptible. Let us be mindful of the impact of our choices now and in the generations to come. May it be so. After some music, we'll have community sharing time when you can write into the chat about what resonated with you today. A framing question might help spark a memory of a personal experience or your direct observation. It's like a writing prompt, you can use it or not. So today's question is, what is barely beginning in your life? What are the seeds of change or the first perceptible things that you notice about what might be coming along? What are the beginning, what's beginning in your life? As we contemplate, rest and reflect, let us experience the beauty of the musical response. This is a song that I wrote called The Light Chant. It's based on a Sufi zikr and we'll be incorporating arm movements and body gestures. You're welcome to sing along. Nice breathing all the way through. Light surrounds me, light above me, light within me, shining through me. Light surrounds me, light above me, light within light within me, shining through me. Light surrounds me, light above light within me, shining through me. Light so much for singing along this is the time 
when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform and what resonates in our own lives. You may consider the framing question, what is barely beginning in your life? And I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or Facebook comments. Robin shares that she loves the trees and seeds concept, uh, remembering that when she went down to the Supreme Court to pay my respects on the day Ruth Bader Baden Ginsburg died, I looked at the large trees on the grounds of the Supreme Court and remember thinking, geez, the stories those trees could tell how far we've come and how far we still have to go. I hope I can be as resilient as these trees have been. Thank you for sharing that moment, Robin. Joe shared is sharing, I really enjoy the platform. Um, it's a great reminder to keep going when things, um, with things, when the fruits of the efforts are not yet apparent. And I think that's a, it's a reminder we all could use for some, some of the big things we go uh, try to tackle. Terry Smith sharing, I'm beginning to imagine how to make the transition that will be brought by the end of the pandemic. Yes, that will be, uh, we can maybe just start to imagine the change and the um, beginning of, of the end, hopefully. Um, Donna Radner shared, um, winter can be a time of inner growth if we let it. If we let it, I think that's a key point there. And Nikki um, shared, uh, sometimes when things are rough, it is to make space for new growth. Absolutely. And, uh, just a reminder to folks, as you're sharing comments, go ahead and select all panelists and attendees to make sure we can all enjoy the comments. Perry uh, shared, uh, what's barely beginning for me is retirement. I'm no longer an employee, but I'm still on a contract, which I've agreed to extend, but just once, exclamation point on just once, to finish my last project. So the in-between phase is continuing. Yeah, sometimes that in-between um, with one thing ending and one thing starting, um, not yet embarking on it, it's just at the start. Mark uh, sharing, thank you for the platform. It gives me hope for the future. And uh, Joe London um, sharing, I learned how to identify a plant and prune trees from KC Trees. It's a great nonprofit organization. Fun to be outside doing something useful. And Judy sharing, uh, what I particularly like was the idea that the milkweed required winter before it could grow. Great, great story there. See if, um, have any Facebook comments. Um, uh, let's see, Elis sharing, um, the connection between conservation and sufficiency was great. And seeing the beginnings of my child's independence. It is exciting, but also a little scary. Absolutely. Um, thank you for sharing that, Elaine. Um, Maceo sharing uh, what a great reframe of the George Washington Carver as an environmental justice warrior. Black people have always been connected to the land as we built this country. Yet often we hear environmental movement and don't describe ourselves or um, describe ourselves to um, in it. Describe ourselves in it. This would be a great message for me to share with my family and friends. Um, Walter shared, I'm, be I'm belatedly beginning to imagine that the Trump era is really over. Um, 
and uh, Elizabeth sharing, um, I'm a pagan in addition to a humanist. Um, and Bolek, aka, I'm gonna um, not do a good job pronouncing some of the words here, but the uh, ease milk is a holy day for me. I'm beginning to take a class to strengthen my pagan knowledge. I enjoy the human concept of acting ethically and being able to combine it with belief in the old gods. And um, Jamie shared, I just finished a book last night called The Journey of Trees by Zach St. George. It included a lot of these themes and was very, very good. I learned a lot and recommend. All right, I'll read one more comment here. And uh, as we proceed, um, or two, a couple more comments here. We have like a couple minutes more for comments. I enjoy, um, I'd love to wish we had more time in the, uh, the conversation that we're having together as best as I can represent it to everyone. Stacy shared one of my favorite high school teachers an avowed feminist historian recently died. This platform helped me think about how her influence lives on in her hundreds of students. And Sonia shared, I remembered reading a biography of George Washington Carver in elementary school in the 1970s and definitely came out of it understanding that it wasn't just about peanuts. Happy to have read it all the way back then. That's great that you had the um, exposure and uh, the um, information um, that the, the more complex picture than sometimes has been shared. Well, let's move over to um, share the plate. Thank you all for your words um, and the conversation and uh, look forward to continuing some of those in the coffee hour later. Just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, we split the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. We appreciate each person's generous giving as they are able. This month, half of the offering is dedicated to Mana Food Center. Here to tell us more about this month's partner organization is West member, Jenna Umbriak. Good morning, Wes. Uh, to any of my fellow members I haven't met yet, as it's been said two other times today, my name is Jenna Umbriak and I have the pleasure of serving as the director of programs at Mana Food Center. Put succinctly, for those of you that don't know us, Mana Food Center is the food bank for Montgomery County. So we do many of the things you think a food bank should do. We provide direct food assistance. We help people apply for federal SNAP benefits. We offer cooking classes on a school bus retrofitted with a licensed commercial kitchen. Maybe you didn't know a food bank does all of those things. But I'm always thankful that about 37 years ago, when MANA was founded, someone had the sense to call us MANA Food Center and not MANA Food Bank, because we really pride ourselves on being more than just a food bank. At MANA, we truly understand that providing immediate food assistance is necessary, but not sufficient to address the issue of food insecurity in our community. This is why even during a pandemic, while responding to a 40% increase in the number of requests for food aid. We've actually added new programming, including an expanded farm to food bank program that this year provided capacity building grants to 22 Montgomery County farms, furthering a more resilient local food system and we hope promoting long-term food security. While all of this we believe brings us closer to realizing MANA's mission and vision of food for all, 
I'm most proud of the work that MANA is undertaking that to me is most aligned with this month's theme of beloved community. Practices like our Breaking Bread initiative. This is a monthly conversation aimed at shifting the narrative of food insecurity to really focus on its root causes. It's held around noon on the third Wednesday of every month if you wanna join. And we explore the ways that food justice is inextricably linked with racial justice. Efforts like our advocacy task force, whose membership includes women with lived experience of food insecurity and they're helping us, helping to guide our advocacy agenda. And our community engagement partnerships that are really designed to break down the institutional barriers between food recipient and food provider. I'm really grateful to Wes for including MANA in the Share the Plate offering this month. It's really this kind of community support that allowed us last fiscal year to support over 50,000 Montgomery County residents. And your contributions will allow us to continue to build a community where all people at all times have um, access to safe, sufficient, nutritious food. So thanks very much for having me this morning. Thanks, Brian. Back to you. Thank you, Jenna. That's uh, quite a mission right now and so critical. Um, well, that presentation, all that you do for Mana Food Center and all that you do for our community is greatly appreciated. Um, on the slide, on the next slide, you'll see the number to give by text for today's collection. That's 202-335-1885. And you can also make a gift online through the donate button at our website at ethicalsociety.org. We will now receive your gifts and the musicians' gifts of music. This is my song, this is my dawn song, as morning light begins to rise, all sleeping seeds beneath my feet, they stir in slumber, yes I remember, the changing is always turning through each day bright each new moon's rise the yawning trees here on my path begin to wake and shake off winter's this is my song this is my dawn song morning light begins to rise as sleeping seeds beneath my feet they stir in slumber yes we remember the changing year is always turning through each day bright each new moon's rise, 
dawning trees here on my path begin to wave and shake off winter's Thank you so much to the many people who helped create this morning's time together. It really takes a whole team. Interim music coordinator, Leah Morris and guest musicians, Dr. Glenn Thomas Rideout, Jesse Huddleman and Elisa S. Keeler. Thank you to Maceo Thomas, our membership coordinator. Thank you to Robin Kravitz for communication support, hosting our coffee hour and creating the slides with our new slide artists in training, John and Abby Dakin. Anyone who would like to join the slide creation team, please contact Robin. And thank you to tech host, Sonia Coopers. And thank you to those who are leading and supporting our work in the week to come. At the conclusion of the platform, please join us for a virtual coffee hour. Once we're in the Zoom coffee hour space, we'll divide into random breakout groups, which you're welcome to drift in and out of as you greet different people. To get to coffee hour after closing words, point your browser to tiny.cc slash Wes Coffee Hour. Visitors and newcomers, today is the first Sunday of the month and there will be a Q&A session at noon with membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas. Whether you are considering membership or just curious, bring whatever questions you have. To get to the newcomer Q&A at noon, look, at, uh, look in the chat for the link. And to those enrolled in the Path to Membership class, that is still happening today at 1 p.m. The link is tiny.cc slash west newcomers. Don't listen to me, look in the chat box. Throughout this year of adaptation, we have found new ways to observe beloved celebrations. For pay attention to Love Day next week, we can't share cookies like we normally do, but we can share love and appreciation. Throughout this week, you are invited to post social media, uh, to post on social media, using the hashtag share love at Wes with words of gratitude and friendship for people at Wes or with observations about what you love regarding Wes. Your post could be simply words or it could be photos or artwork or a short video. If you record a 30 second video about your friendship or appreciation at Wes and post it or email it to Robin by Friday at noon, we'll include it in a montage video next Sunday. An email is coming from Robin Kravitz with details on Monday. So no need to jot these details down now. Um, look, for, look in your email for that. And we really look forward to sharing all the ways that our connections have built and continue to build love in our community. The Unitarian Universalist Association is hosting a conference for congregations engaged in anti-racism, anti-oppression, and multiculturalism. This will be a time to trade ideas with other communities and recommit to the work of justice and inclusion. Workshops include one on songwriting with Leah Morris. The New Day Rising Conference will be online on the afternoon of Saturday, February 27th. Thanks to our group discount, registration is $20 and there is funding if that is out of reach for you. Please contact Train to learn more about or to, or to join our co um, cohort. In the chat, you'll see a link um, with that uh, information. And uh, we look forward to those who can join in that work. 
We have opportunities for West members and friends to connect virtually for during the week, including support meetings and, dis and discussion groups. You can find the details for that and all the other events on our calendar on the website at ethicalsociety.org. Finally, thank you for being here with us. Let's enjoy together our closing song for the month performed by interim music coordinator, Leah Morris. Together we stand with our voices lifted. Together we sing as one choir. Together we stand with our hearts united, our flames ignited, our lives bright to inspire. Together we stand with our voices lifted. Together we sing as one choir. Together we stand with our hearts united, our flames ignited, our lives bright to inspire. Together we stand with our voices lifted. Together we sing as one choir. Together we stand with our hearts united, our flame ignited, our lives bright to inspire. And now I invite you to join me in our closing words for the month. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, creating beloved community among us and beyond us for our hearts and for our quest for a better world. Again, please join us for the virtual coffee hour. It's one of the ways we really enjoy staying connected as a community, even when we're far apart physically. You can find the link on the slide or in the chat. And if you're new to our community, again, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, and introduce yourself. We love talking about um, ways to connect and ways to be together. I uh, encourage folks, again, just remember, we won't be on this Zoom meeting. Um, go ahead over to click on the link. It's been a wonderful morning together and uh, we'll be ending this meeting in a few minutes. So as you head off, um, I'll just share if there are any other um, comments. I did wanna say, let's see, Jenna shared, if you do wanna participate in the Breaking Bread or have other questions about Mana, um, you can email Jenna and uh, she put her email address there, Jenna at manafood.org. Um, lots of thank yous and uh, thank you from Sue and um, coffee hour is up and running and open. And uh, so we will be uh, heading off there. Hope everyone has a wonderful rest of their weekend. All right. Take care.